Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Shallow center, coming on Bader. Oh, he got it! What a catch, Harrison Bader! Oh, my goodness! Oh, what a play here. From his knees, got him to stretch it first by Goldie. One of the most remarkable plays you'll see on both ends. Betts out to left, O'Neal back. Some of the uh, defensive plays from last season. And so, who wins a gold glove this year? We're going to get into that. Talk about Game 3 of the World Series coming up. Also, our guest will be William Bohr from MLB Pipeline. MLB.com has an emphasis looking at the minor leaguers, and he's out. We understand. We'll ask him when he comes on. But he's been out at the uh, Arizona Fall League. I'm Dan McLaughlin. And that is BK Brandon Kiley, who is out at Centene. And uh, BK, as we're talking in the crossover, first of all, good morning to you. And um, are the Blues practicing there or Enterprise Center? I believe they'll be out here a little later this morning. Um, Alex will be out there while we are doing the show. So uh, I will give you updates as I get them. But as of now, my understanding is that they will be out here. Okay, so the Blues and the Hawks tomorrow. And the Blues dropping a game last night. Their first loss of the season, 4-3 to the Avalanche last night. So the Cardinals have six finalists for a gold glove. And that is the most in baseball. You have Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader. For the catcher spot. Let's start with there, and I'll go through all these uh, these spots. Sound good? Do it that yep. way? All right. We'll start with catcher. Yadier Molina, these are the finalists. Yadier Molina, Jacob Stallings, JT Realmuto. Um, I've said it a lot doing the games. I, I just think that Jacob Stallings is a fantastic defensive player. The metrics also bear that out. Same thing can be said for Realmuto, and, and Molina is always going to be in the conversation. I think I'm leaning towards Stallings getting this. We'll see. But uh, obviously, all three are superior defensive players and Yachty doing it at uh, nearly the age of 40. Yeah, uh, Stallings would be my pick here as well. Yachty, if you're looking at some of the numbers, which is where some of the voting comes from nowadays, as you know, Dan, he's second or third among these three in most of the defensive categories this season. So uh, it's an honor for him to be nominated, of, of course, I don't think he's going to be able to get one this year. So I would give this one to Jacob Stallings. He's just been the best defensive catcher in the National League this year. First base, Paul Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, Max Muncy. I, uh, I've i always appreciated the defense of Paul Goldschmidt, even when he got to St. Louis, loved it in Arizona. I, I thought this year, and I watched him every day, I thought this was his best uh, without question, his best season defensively for the Cardinals. And that's saying something because he's had some really good years, and I, I think he's the front runner to get it. He's got to win it. Not only did he make the plays that you don't really write home about, like there are some things that he does that are the nuances of the game 
that you see it and you're like, wow, that was a really nice play by Goldie. And you move on and you go forward. This year, he also had the outstanding plays. And that's something that you need if you're going to win a gold glove. You got to have the highlight real plays. He had a couple of those, especially down the stretch during that winning streak. So Goldie, for me, is probably the runaway winner on this one. Tommy Edmond at second base is a finalist, along with Ozzie Albies and Colton Wong. My guess is, even though... And I got a few reasons for this. My guess is Ozzy Albies. And I say that because Wong has missed and had missed considerable time. I think that's going to maybe hurt him. We'll see if it comes into play. Tommy Edmond playing some right field. and uh, But at the stretch run, he was awesome. By the way, the metrics put Tommy Edmond ahead of these guys. So he may win the gold glove. But Albies is there pretty much, unless I'm wrong, day in and day out. So maybe the edge goes to him. We'll see. This is the one that's most interesting to me out of all of them, Dan, because I don't have a good feel for who's going to win this one. I think you could give it to any of the three, and I'd be like, yeah, that makes some sense. Uh, Albies is probably more about the offensive numbers than the defensive numbers for him. He's a really good defender, don't get me wrong. But I think I would probably take Edmund or Wong defensively over him. And so this that would be more of a throwback gold glove winner. I, I think you can make a strong case for either Edmund or Wong, I think I would probably vote for Tommy Edmond, though, this year, Dan, because you look at the metrics, as you mentioned, he's right up there with these guys, actually ranked ranked first among them in defensive runs saved and outs above average, two of the most notable defensive statistics. I, I think he's my guy. He played every day this year. I know he did play some in right field as well. Wong was hurt for a, a decent number of games so far this season. I, I think I would go Tommy Edmond as my gold glove winner at second base. But again, I could listen to the argument. Any of the three have strong ones. Third base, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, Ryan McMahon of the Rockies. I'm going with Nolan. I think he's going to yeah. get his ninth gold glove. Yeah, this one's pretty easy. You just go with him. I thought at the beginning of the year, there were some uncharacteristically strange plays from Arenado. I think a lot of that had to do with the way that the Cardinals were shifting. I don't think he was used to it. Uh, and then about a month into the season, it was like, oh, okay, now he's used to it. He looks like the same Nolan Arenado that we expected. He was outstanding, especially down the stretch. Arenado should win his gold glove this year. And this would break his tie, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, for the most ever by a third baseman, correct? Uh, I'd have it, to. He's got one with Scott Rowland right now. I think he's tied with Scott Rowland. Boy, there's got to be, well, when did it start getting awarded? I'd have to look back at that. When did they start doing this? First award was in 1957. Where's Brooks Robinson? Where's My Scott apologies. Rowland? It is not all time, but it yeah. would break the tie that he has currently with, uh, with Scott Rowland. Who do you Brooks have on Robinson that? had 16. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Okay. Uh, I was going to say 14, but it was 16. Okay, so let's go to left field. It's the, it's, it's the most straight, most consecutive for a third baseman that he would be breaking. Left field, Tyler O'Neill, David Peralta, who was a pitcher in the Cardinals minor league system, huh. which is a great story, and uh, A.J. Pollock of the Dodgers. I'm going to say Tyler O'Neill again. I, I, I'm i going to go. I think he's, he's – when you win it the year before, there's a little gravitas to that. So I think that that would help him. Uh, Pollock, Peralta, mm, I, I think I'm going to go with uh, Tyler O'Neill. This is a runaway, more so than really any of the others, and that is not a shot against Arenado. It is not a shot against Paul Goldschmidt. You look at any defensive metric from this year, Tyler O'Neill was clearly the best of these three. Uh, Tyler O'Neill should win a gold glove this year. I thought last year I understood it, but I didn't necessarily feel like he was the best defensive left fielder in all of baseball, uh, or in the, in the National League at least. 
This year I felt that way from start to finish. He was great, and he had some highlight plays. The catch that I'm going to remember maybe forever, Dan, was the play that he made in left field at Dodger Stadium to finish that game off. I think that was the highlight that it we was. came back with there. It, it was – I think when you uh, you had the stat cast numbers, they said it was like a 50-50 chance of catching it. No way. No way. There are maybe totally two other guys yeah. in all of baseball that make that play. It was incredible. So Tyler O'Neill for me is clearly deserving of this award this time around. By the way, I, I'm not really into the uh, the stat cast percentage of what it takes, you know, 50% chance. I, there was so much that went into the, the game was on the line. The wall is there. Now you can you can look at it from the height and the exit velocity and then the speed of the runner. I understand that, but there's so much more that goes into trying to make some of these plays. And also, like he had to be aware of where the wall was. And there's a lot of guys that take their eye off of the ball, go to the wall, and then for that split second they lose the ball, and then then now it goes into the creek. Like there's just so much that goes into it that can't be accounted for there. So I do think sometimes defensively it's really hard to hone in on some of these numbers. Offensively, it's much easier because it's the pitcher, it's the hitter. There's only two variables in it. Um, Tyler O'Neill, though, regardless of whatever the numbers say, although they do like him, he's clearly deserving for me. So this is also in collaboration with Sabermetric component of looking at a player and then the votes that come in. The final one is Harrison Bader, Brian Reynolds, and Jackie Bradley Jr. This is an interesting one. I do think it'll be Harrison Bader. Um, what could hurt him was the time missed. Now you, yep. you you have to make uh, have a certain criteria of innings that you have to meet to to be eligible for this. Brian Reynolds was steady, but there were that was a, I mean for him to be a Gold Glove finalist, that was a guy that the Pirates didn't necessarily look at until their manager said, I think you can play center field. So they started playing him in center this year and really did well. He was very good. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a Gold Glove winner from before. However. He, his year, generally speaking, was down, really down offensively. Understood. This is supposed to be a defensive award. But again, with him, innings, how much do you play? Where are you playing? I mean, he played all over the place. So I'm going to go with Harrison Bader. And I do believe that Harrison is the best defensive center fielder right now in the National League. I totally agree with you. He's the best defensive center fielder in the National League. You can make an argument that he's one of, if not the best defender in the National League right now, and I don't think you would get a strong argument against that. He's outstanding. He's deserving of this award. Dan, if I set the over-under, let's see here. I think Bader, O'Neal, Arenado, and Goldie are basically no-brainers. If I set the over-under at four and a half gold gloves for the Cardinals this year, what would you take? Ooh, you're going four and a half on me. Uh, I, I, think, I think there's four that are that are clear cut. They're, they so should going, or will win it. You're, you're going Goldie, Arenado, O'Neal, Bader. Yep. And I can't. The wild card in there is Tommy Edmond. I mean, unless you think that Yachty's winning it this year, but yeah. I, I would be very surprised. So I'd have to go under then. You, you got four and a half. It. Then I got to go four. Yeah, that's under four and a half, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I would take the over. I, I think there's a chance that Tommy Edmond ends up getting it this year. I was looking this up last night. I couldn't find anything definitive on it, Dan, but the best that I could find, I think the Cardinals would be the first team ever to have five gold glove winners if they're able to do it. It's, it's happened where there have been multiple teams that had four gold glove winners. In fact, the Cardinals had that back in, I think it was 2002. They had four but I can't find any teams that had five or more gold glove winners on an individual team. So if the Cardinals are able to do it, they could go down as the most decorated defensive team that we've seen in this gold glove era. That's saying something. Um, I still go back to 
the 82 team, and I've said this to you many times, is the best infield I think the Cardinals have had. And there's some teams in the 60s that were really good defensively, and it's it's hard for me to go back to other teams prior to that and say, well, this team had this, this, and this. But in the, the teams that I've seen, um, 82 was awfully good. They were doing it on the turf. But this one was as athletic of a team defensively that I've seen. And that's saying a lot because the Cardinals at one point, when you think back when they were rolling and had those dominant teams in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, just go around the infield. I mean, it was Albert Pujols, a gold glove winner. Your second baseman at one point was Fernando Vina, who won a gold glove. You had Edgar Renteria, won a gold glove. You had Scott Rowland, who's one of the best ever. You had Matheny and Yachty. So the defense for the last two decades has been sensational. At uh, the catcher spot, Jimmy Edmonds won eight gold gloves. He's in center. You had Reggie Sanders, good player. Larry Walker, exceptional defensive player. I mean, those were really good defensive teams. And as I look forward to 2022, that's something I'll say, boy, that's in the check marks of a really good, positive things that the Cardinals can look forward to, which is good defense and putting a premium then again, as we talk about a lot, BK, throwing strikes, you know, don't walk anybody. If you get beat, you get beat, but throw strikes, put the ball in play. Yeah, the other offseason storyline that's going to happen here, just kind of pushing this story forward a little bit is how much are you willing to give up some of this defense for more offense? Because the Cardinals have talked about platooning. And we mentioned this the other day, Dan. The two places that it makes the most sense to do so would be in center field with Harrison Bader, although he was much better this year against right-handed pitching. And then at second base with Tommy Edmond, who struggled mightily in each of the last two years against right-handed pitching. Those guys happen to be really good defenders, though. So if you take them out of your lineup on any given day, you are losing something there defensively. So then it becomes a question of what is that marginal offensive improvement versus what you are losing from them defensively on any given day. And that's going to be the equation that on a daily basis, you're going to have to see from Ali Marmol if he's going to go this route with uh, using some of the matchups and platoon numbers. Talked a lot about the bench and maybe some of those platoon guys could be young players that are competing in the Arizona Fall League. Also talk about some of the top prospects in baseball and specifically with the Cardinals. Our guest will be William Bohr of uh, MLB Pipeline, MLB.com. And that's coming up next. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. at Centene getting ready for the uh, St. Louis Blues practice today as they get ready for the Blackhawks in town tomorrow. You can listen to the game right here on 101 ESPN or watch the game on Valley Sports Midwest tomorrow night. Uh, and I'm Dan McLaughlin in the studios of ESPN and uh, 101. Let's go out to Arizona and uh, really looking forward to having the chance to visit with William Bohr. Enjoy his work. Uh, does a lot of stuff with MLB Pipeline, MLB.com, talking about the prospects in baseball and covering the Arizona Fall League. Hey, William, thanks for your time and uh, we appreciate it. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Happy to be on and talking prospects. You got it. Uh, we're excited about what we're seeing with the St. Louis Cardinals and those players, both position players and pitchers that right now are at the Arizona Fall League. Uh, if you could give our listeners an update on what's happening and what you've seen with some of those players. Yeah, the uh, Cardinals sent an exciting group, and I think it's lived up to expectations and performed really well. 
Um, obviously, the headliner is Nolan Gorman, who is the Cardinals' top prospect. He's someone everyone probably knows a lot about. I really liked what I've seen from him defensively. Um, he, he's hit well, but to me, going in, that wasn't that wasn't really a question. Ever since they drafted him out of high school, we knew he could hit, uh, but he came up as a third baseman. Obviously, with Arenado there, he moved to second base. Uh, so that's since that's a new position for him, I wanted to see how he's adjusting, how he's handling it. Um, and I've been impressed with what I've seen. He looks, he looks good there. Obviously it's not his main natural first position, but he's definitely adjusting well and seems to be playing, playing the position. Well, uh, the other two standouts with the, with the bat are Lars Newbar, who Cardinals fans obviously got a little bit of a taste with in, in St. Louis this year, uh, he's looked really good. And then Juan Yepes, who really shot up the ranks this year, had a breakout, had a breakout season. Um, Cardinals fans really like him. I get a lot of interaction about him on Twitter and he's, he, he's had a huge year, really boosted his prospect stock. I'll admit it. I was wrong. Probably need to boost him up a little bit higher on the Cardinals top 30. Um, he has, he has performed well. I think he's, he's homered four times in 10 games. I was just looking, I was doing some prep for this and sorting some of the fall league stats. And I sorted it by OPS of the entire league. And we've got three Cardinals in the top 10. So that's obviously very impressive. William, I think one of the questions for Cardinals fans that aren't watching right now on a day-to-day basis, which is totally understandable, the Arizona Fall League, what kind of competition are these guys going up against on a day-to-day basis? Are they going up against quality arms, or is this them going up against 4A players that they would never see in the majors? So the it's usually referred to by some people as like AA plus. Um, it's kind of tricky this year because a lot of people are making up for lost time uh, from the pandemic and then from subsequent injuries and stuff like that. In general, it's, it's kind of a double A plus. Uh, you've got some players like like Jordan Hicks, who obviously has major league time, was here for a little bit. He's he's gone already, but you know some re- rehabbers. You've got players they just finished their first full season because maybe there were 2020 draftees. So teams are trying to kind of speed up the speed up the process a little bit since we missed that season. But overall, yeah, it's, it's pretty good competition uh, for, a, for a lot of these guys. How about Zach Thompson? Uh, the lefty has really put up good numbers. It was a, a very much an up and down season for him uh, at Memphis. And the lefty is a top pr- a draft pick of the Cardinals. So they'd love to get something out of him. How's he looked at the Arizona fall league? Thompson's looked good. Thompson in the fall league has looked like the player that the Cardinals drafted in the first round in 2019, rather than the player who put up a seven plus ERA this year in triple a, uh, obviously a fall league is a small sample size versus, you know, an entire regular season, but talking to scouts and looking at radar guns and stuff, his, his stuff seems to be back. So I don't know, if he, I got to talk to him. I'm not sure if it was something that he tweaked. He tweaked mechanically. If it's just a matter of season was kind of shaking off some rust, uh, adjusting to pro ball. I know he talked to my colleague, Jim Callis. It was earlier this week or late last week. And he mentioned that part of it was kind of maturity in that he was drafted in the first round. 
He was straight to the alternate site. Then he got put straight to AAA, which is obviously a really aggressive assignment. And then it kind of caught up to him where it was just a matter of, oh, okay, like this is, these hitters are really good. I've really got to take my stuff to the next level. And that adjustment kind of took him some time. So I think hearing that coupled with the results that we're seeing here are probably really promising for Cardinals fans. We're talking to William Bohr here on 101 ESPN. Uh, William, I did want to ask you about Juan Yepes in particular because he's a guy that the Cardinals are probably going to place on their 40-man roster this offseason. There's going to be a decision on that here in the not-too-distant future. And then next year, we've talked about him as maybe an option either for the bench or maybe even the DH. How ready to you does he look right now to be a major league hitter? I think, yeah, I think the DH is probably the way to go, especially with with what with the, with the rest of the Cardinals roster. He looks really close to being a hitter. Uh, he looks a little bit further away in the outfield, so that presents some issues. Obviously, I think I think if they if the new CBA does allow them to have a DH, then you go with that route. But I would. I would not be shocked to see him up early, definitely in the first half of the year, if he if he keeps this up and if everything goes as as expected. Two guys I want to get into with their defense would be Lars Newbar and then Nolan Gorman. So Gorman at second base, how do you rate him defensively in, in terms of how he is moving laterally, comfort level, turning double plays? And then with Newbar, is he playing a, a specific position in the outfield or is he bouncing all over the place? Uh, Newbar, I have seen I have seen him bounce bouncing around. Uh, Gorman. Now, granted, Gorman has only played six games. I think I've seen three of them, so you know, take that for what it's worth. But uh, he's he's looked good at, at second base. Uh, I think I've seen him turn a couple double plays, not a ton, but he's also out there. You know, when you go out for BP, he's out there early. He's taking ground balls at second base. He's working on all that. He know he knows that his bat's going to get him there quick. Uh, so that the time he has to learn second base is not as much as, you know, most people who who maybe are drafted in high school and play one position all the way up. Uh, he, he looks good. He's not, there's some times where it looks a little stiff. It's not different. He mentioned that like his athleticism there, he knows how to play baseball. When I was talking to him, the hardest stuff to him was just relays, cuts, and all the other things about playing second base is where to be in certain situations. Um, so it's, it's more of the mental side of it than the actual physical aspect of playing second base. William, one of the conversations we're having a lot of talk about right now is what do the Cardinals do with their bench going into next year? They really need some more left-handed options coming off of the bench. They really need some guys that could be potential platoon options. And Nolan Gorman and Lars Newbar have both been brought up as potential options. And we talked previously about uh, Juan Yepes as that option, maybe for the DH as well. If you were in John Mosellock's shoes, would you feel comfortable going into next year on opening day with those three as bench bats slash platoon options for them? As bats, yes. My one hesitation would just be, and this would be more so with uh, Gorman than the others, if you have him at if you have him at DH or just getting spot at bats, uh, are you slowing down the defensive development and what are you losing there? Uh, the others, I think, don't necessarily have as high of a ceiling, so maybe that's the way you go about it because uh, they're going to be more platoon players or in Yepa's case, I think probably 
long-term a DH or kind of a platoon guy, but like with someone like Gorman who in the future you, you want to play 150 or so games in the field every day, there's kind of a give and take there. Uh, But I think if you, once the roster's set, you look at it and you're like, Hey, we could still get him out there three or four times a week. Maybe that's good enough. And that's the, that's the route you want to take. But I think if you're just talking bats, if there is a DH or something like that, then yeah, I would be comfortable starting the season with them. Is the uh, Arizona fall league using any of the stuff that we saw? Cause at times it's been a, a, a training ground for like the pitch clock a few years ago, various rules that we saw uh, in the minor leagues. Are, are they doing that right now? And if so, uh, anything that stands out for you that you watch this summer or that you're seeing right now that maybe uh, we could anticipate in major league baseball. So we've got, yeah, we've got a few going on right now. We've got automatic strike zone um, at one of the six stadiums. We've got pitch clock at all of them. And we have, oh, there's, there's no shifts. Uh, so two infielders on each side of second base and they have to start on the dirt. And then uh, there was one more, oh, uh, slightly bigger bases all the way around. Any of it stand out for you that you like that's uh, made a difference? Uh, I think, I mean, I think eventually we're getting to the automatic strike zone. I think it's, it still needs some work and that's only at one of the six parks they're using out here. So that one's hard to tell. I think, um, I, I like the bigger bases. It doesn't seem noticeable. Uh, it doesn't necessarily interrupt anything. I want to, now that the league's a little further in, uh, I think we're at the, we're at the three week mark. Now I want to talk to some second baseman shortstop, see if they have a little more, if they notice the more room around the bag on turning double plays and stuff like that. But I think it, I think it, it helps with, you know, no collisions. It gives everyone a little bit more room at first base and stuff. It seems like there's a couple more, which I know part of the goal of it was to increase offense. It seems like there's a few more steal attempts, but I would have to talk to some of the batters and see if that's because the distance is slightly shorter or if they're, just saying, hey, I'm in Arizona for six weeks and I want to work on getting my jumps, so I decided I was going every other time anyway. Final question that I have for you. We're talking to William Bohr, reporter and producer for MLB Pipeline. He writes about the Cardinals' top 30 list in terms of their prospects for MLB Pipeline. Uh, William, when you look at the Cardinals' prospects, not even the guys necessarily down in the Arizona Fall League, but just as a whole, who was the player or players that stood out to you most this year with their performance and maybe uh, changed your perspective on them compared to where you had them at at the beginning of the season? Well, the biggest one is Yepes, but we've talked about him a lot. So I will go with Nick Plummer, uh, who first-round draft pick in 2015, but really struggled and kind of, kind of toiled away in the lower levels of the minors. He met, I talked to him probably midway through the season, and he said that he just – a light clicked. He went down to spring training early this year, put in a lot of work hitting, and really had a breakout season. He worked his way worked his way up to AAA this year, and he started the year unranked on our top 30 list and finished the year at number 10. So that tells you the type of rise he made and the type of – the type that he elevated his stock and really jumped back onto the radar. 
Uh, my final question for you, as you look at the, your top 30 for St. Louis, we always hear about Matthew Libertor. There's a couple of guys in the lower levels of the minor leagues that have had standout seasons. Anybody else that you could tell our fans about that maybe aren't that far away from the uh, big leagues or look like very legitimate prospects in your opinion? Um, Jordan Walker uh, had a really good year. He's further away, finished uh, in high A, but he he had a really good season. He really, you know, he was a high round draft pick, so everyone expected him to play well, but he he did. Uh, so it's always nice when the performance matches matches the expectations. Michael McGreevy, uh, first round pick from twenty twenty one, college college guy so i could see him kind of moving through the system fairly quick and getting getting up to st louis in probably 2020 late 2022 early 2023 yeah absolutely hey william great stuff really appreciate it enjoy the baseball out in arizona and uh and have a great halloween this uh, sunday hopefully you don't eat too much candy <laughs> will do thanks guys you got it that's uh william Bohr from mlb pipeline MLB.com. Interesting to hear that uh, they are implementing uh, that outside of looking at the Cardinal prospects, PK, and I've been following it daily and to see how guys are doing. I am just fascinated with the upcoming CBA and how to improve the fan experience, which means rules that could be implemented that we're seeing now the Arizona Fall League and what we've talked about at minor league baseball. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things, or really the two biggest things, is base running and defense, right? The two places where the Cardinals have been outstanding over the last couple of years. I think that's what the rest of baseball would like to catch up with. And that means potentially limiting the shift and opening things up. And I, I actually think that's going to make the Cardinals' defense even that much more of an advantage relative to the rest of the league because now instead of being able to shift to places where they expect the hits to go, now you got to have athletic players out there again. It puts more of an emphasis on having a good defensive second baseman in particular. Uh, so that's something worth monitoring moving forward. And also the base running. If it is true that these expanded bags, and I don't know how much they make a difference, Dan, but if it's true that they make a little bit of a difference, you could see more stolen base attempts. And if you have the limits on the pickoff attempts, which they've done down in the minors, that could help there as well. I think getting steals back into baseball, I mean, we've seen it in the postseason. If you're if you're stealing at like a 95% rate, even the saver metrics people would tell you, yeah, you should be doing that more often. So maybe moving forward, that's something we see more of. So that's BK. He's at Centene. I'm Dan. And uh, there's been an interesting article uh, just released about an hour ago by Buster Olney. Want to get into that? Also, El Hombre, news on Albert Pujols. That's next on 101 ESPN. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Always love it, BK, when you and Alex get uh, Buster only on the air or when he's on the morning show because he comes with um, articles and thoughts that make you think. And they're well educated, well thought out, and probably getting some information from various sources, executives, players, managers, all that kind of stuff. So he has an article out this morning on ESPN.com about uh, basically what could be the extension of 
the opener. And the opener pitcher that we saw that Tampa Bay introduced to baseball, it's been now, I guess, three years or so. And we're seeing it a bunch now here in postseason play. But he said there could be a set limit on the number of pitchers that teams carry on their rosters, perhaps at 13 for next year. And the ceiling gradually reduced in the seasons that follow attached to that roster limit would be a a more stringent rule regarding promotions from and demotions to the minor leagues. The other part that he talked about, and I am on board with this. We've seen it now. We talked to various people that were part of um, some of the minor leagues and independent baseball, the way that they do this is that um, the designated hitter rule generally expected to be a universal DH starting next year. So you're going to have it in the National League. So each team would start a DH in every game, but would lose the DH with the removal of the starting pitcher. So that would incentivize then your pitching coach and manager to say, well, do we really want to take out Joe and sacrifice the DH? And there's something to that. I, th- I think that uh, you have to think twice about it. Plus, there's a, there's more managing in it. There's more of the, um, you know, just what baseball is all about, the X's and O's and what you want to do, some of the, the matchups that you think about. So uh, at least from the onset of this, I think that is something that's probably on its way to Major League Baseball. You think they would go with that DH rule of keeping as long as your starter is in, your DH is in, and then once you pull him, you lose the DH? I say that because, um, and here's why, I follow, as you know, my motto is follow the money when you're looking at some of these things. According to numbers dug out by ESPN uh, researcher, in 2017, teams spent $886 million on starting pitchers. 21% of all the dollars spent in 2021, it was down to 17.4%. So what my point is, is that if you incentivize having starters being more important going into next year, then the price tag for said starter in your free agency period goes up. So that's why that's why with all these rules, I know it's easy for a lot of fans. And I think you would agree. Fans say, well, just do it. Just do this, do that, do this. Yeah, but there's a price tag associated with that. And this is a good example of trying to make the starter more important. And if you wanted to do this for the competitive issue of your game, you could do it. However, your starters, that's very, very important because you want to get them paid. Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. The first guy that I heard talking about this was actually Jason Stark. He brought it up a few years ago, and I was like, you know what? It's a really interesting idea. It's an interesting concept. I just don't know that baseball is progressive enough to actually implement this. If they are, I think it would be fascinating, Dan. I mean, I just go back to, like, thinking about the Cardinals specifically. You go back to the wild card game, and the question was, I don't remember specifically what inning it was. I think it was the fourth, where they they left Wayno in there, and then he came up in the next inning, and then he ended up getting, like, one out in the following inning in the wild card game. Well, if this was the case, it would have been a no-brainer decision to leave Wayno in there because his spot's coming up, which is the designated hitter potentially, and then you move forward with him and see where he's able to go. It does incentivize the manager to keep the starting pitcher in, which is a good thing, in my opinion, for baseball. I just wonder, like, for, for teams, does this also then devalue the designated hitter? Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if you are the Cardinals and this offseason you're going into it and you're saying, okay – you know, if we're not able to get the shortstop, maybe the thing that we're going to go after is a Nelson Cruz or we go after a Kyle Schwarber and we're going to pay them 10, 15, 18 million dollars, J.D. Martinez, to be our designated hitter. I don't think you can do that if they go this route because you might lose that player 
not even halfway into the game. So there, there's some give and take there, certainly. I think it's a really compelling rule change, though. Yeah, in 2021, um, well, let me go back to this. So Buster points this out in the article. Prior to the 2019 season, Tampa Bay signed Charlie Morton, now with the Braves, two-year, $30 million contract. They invested $50 million in Blake Snell. He got a five-year deal. He's now with the Padres. So following the World, World Series appearance last year, Tampa Bay let Morton walk away, free agent, traded Snell, and they covered uh, 1,400-plus innings with uh, of last season with more pitchers throwing shorter outings. They used 41 pitchers, wow. 41, eight more than in any season in their history, their per, uh, per out cost declined significantly. So in 2020, dollars spent per out was around 8300 And this season, it was around, around 6800 So that's where I'm going with this. The union's going to see that and say, wait a minute, Tampa Bay's kind of the model for a lot of teams and what they're trying to do. And we got to stop that model. We, we can't let that happen. And that's why I think it will be something that gets implemented in this offseason because the CBA will dictate that and put a premium then on your starting pitching. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they are the team that other teams follow because they, fi- they try to find ways that they are a smaller market team that is, in my opinion, very cheap. And they do not like spending. And so some of the things that they do are in the interest of, okay, how do we maximize our output by minimizing our um, overall expenses? So they're finding edges that other teams are then following, and they're very good at it, Dan. But a lot of those edges are not necessarily good for us as fans. They're not in the best interest of the game, and this is one of those things where they're using the opener. And, I mean, I'm not as old as some people that were, and this is not a shot at anybody, but when you would you sure wake about up. That? <laughs> I, I, I felt bad even <laughs> saying that. When you woke up 30 years ago. You'd wake up, you'd get your morning coffee, you'd look at the newspaper, and you'd see that day's starters. And that was the event, right, to find out who the starters were that day. It doesn't feel that way anymore. Like, we don't even know who's going to start for the Braves in Game 4 of the World Series. Dan, that game is this weekend, and we have no idea who's going to start for them. Um, That would never have happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. So the game has changed so dramatically, and I don't think it's in the best interest of baseball or for baseball fans. That being said, whether it be this rule of losing your DH after your starter is pulled, maybe that's the route you go. The other one that he he, he mentioned in this is limiting pitchers. I don't think that changes anything. Uh, limiting your, your roster to 13 pitchers. I mean, that's where the Cardinals were this year. That's where a lot of teams tend to be over the course of the regular season. He did mention, though, that it could go down to 11 eventually. Okay. That, so that and, would change. And that it. would change things, yeah. certainly. But I, I don't know that that's something that is even in the best interest of the game because then you get into certain situations where th- you need more pitchers and teams are so inclined to use the injured list right now. Like that, that is something that I'm not sure they should go to. But this DH idea I do think is compelling and it's something worth consideration. So we know it's a copycat league in many ways. A lot of people, as we talked about, are looking at how Tampa Bay is doing this, modeling that. Maybe some teams, even the Cardinals, Ali Marmol said, hey, you looked at how the Giants were, uh, you know, platooning some of the guys. And certainly the Dodgers were able to do that. Well, it brings us to this. Albert Pujols is playing in the Winter League this year. That's right, Winter Baseball for the first time. He's going to do it in the Dominican Republic. Also confirmed to Jeff Fletcher of the Orange County Register, he'd like to play again in 2022. 
Now, to me, if you're going in a copycat league in which you have interchangeable parts, Albert Pujols, for me, does one thing. Occasionally starts at first base, maybe occasional start at DH, but when he's going to come off the bench or DH, a lefty's got to be on the mound. Mm -hmm. He felt like he's been rejuvenated with his time with the Dodgers. They obviously used him very well, and he had production against left-handed pitching. However, you're limited with him. And that pertains to what's going on in St. Louis. I mean, a lot of fans want to know, hey, would you go out and get Albert Pujols? Great story. There's all the the sentimentality of it. But from a baseball perspective, does it make sense? And that's what a lot of teams will face with Albert coming up this offseason. Yeah, and the the thing to me that's interesting about this, Dan, is the Cardinals are already so right-handed heavy. They have so many guys that can hit righties well. I'm starting to wonder if this becomes a conversation of Albert versus Yepes. And I know that's such a weird thing to say, and it's it's almost baffling that I'm saying it out loud, but if the Cardinals believe that Juan Yepes is ready to go in the big leagues, and he has no splits so far in his minor league career, maybe that changes in the in the majors, but so far he hits lefties as well as he hits righties, is it a better use of your roster to have Yepes on it on the everyday roster next year than it is to go out there and get Albert Pujols, who does not have options, you can't send him down to the minors, and also he only does the one thing well. He hits lefties. I, as much as I think it would be a great story for St. Louis, I'm just not sure with the roster limitations that it makes sense for them to go out and make that move this offseason. I don't know about you. I was shocked. Uh, a couple of stories I want to get to. Hopefully we get to both. But uh, And one will be on the World Series. I'll get your thoughts on that. But I, I just didn't think that Bob Melvin was leaving Oakland. I mean, with all the different names that we heard about, I really felt Mike Schilt had a great shot. And maybe if Bob Melvin is not available, we're talking about Mike Schilt, uh, Mike Schilt being the manager of the uh, the San Diego Padres. But they, I, I believe he had an option. It was picked up. Oakland lets him out of his option, and he goes to San Diego without compensation. And that probably tells you a lot about Bob Melvin and what they thought of him to be able to do that and give him a chance to maybe potentially win and a team that, at least in the last handful of years, has spent a lot of money. They talked about needing a manager with experience. They didn't want to go with a first-time manager, so they get one of the best. I mean, this guy is really good. Hard to believe he had been in Oakland, at least for me, 11 years, Yeah, 11 years. And with limited resources, it seemed like every year he found a way to stay in contention and get into postseason play. And man, he is more than happy to play the platoon game. Yes. He is a uh, old school manager in some ways, but he plays by the new school rules. This is the best of both worlds. You get a legitimate leader if you're the Padres, and that's the number one quality they had to have in whoever this next manager was. They get a guy that comes in with instant credibility. He has won multiple AL West titles. He's been to the postseason six times. He's won manager of the year twice. All of the credentials you could possibly ask for, you've got in this next manager. It's a great hire by the Padres. I don't know how anybody could say anything otherwise. And Dan, the only reason I wasn't stunned by this is because you mentioned Buster Olney. Uh, moments ago he told us on our show a few weeks ago now hey when I heard that Mike Schilt was fired the first name that I thought of was Skip Schumacher and then after that he also said the other thing the Cardinals need to do is make a call to Oakland because from what he had heard basically everybody out there is looking for an escape route Mm -hmm. right now and the reason is because of all this relocation. They don't know what the future is for the Oakland A's, how much money they're going to be willing to spend, although they've already been a team that doesn't love to spend. 
And Melvin was clearly one of those guys that wanted to get out. And now he's got a great landing spot. I'm super happy for him. I think the Padres are going to be really good next year, not just because of the talent that they have, but now they've got a manager to be able to go with it. World Series Game 3 coming up tonight on ESPN Radio. Luis Garcia, Ian Anderson will have it for you, and you've got three hours coming up over at Centene as the Blues are getting ready and in preparation for tomorrow's game that you can see on Valley Sports and listen to on 101 ESPN, the Blues and Hawks tomorrow at Enterprise. What's coming up on your show? Yeah, we're going to open up with the Blues, Dan. Outplayed last night. I felt like it was the first time all year that that was the case. you got to stay out of the box. We'll talk about that. And, of course, the story of the night, in my opinion, was the fight at the beginning of it and then also Jordan Bennington. And Can't do that. I, I don't know if you want to call it antics, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. I'm kind of done with it, man. So we're going to talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. All right. Looking forward to it. BK, have a great weekend. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Same to you, Dan. All right. That's BK. That's Tanner. I'm Dan. We'll talk to you Monday on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.